Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode is the artist I moved to New York to study with in 2006 and whose work I just really, really love, and his name is Jacob Collins. So in 2004, 2005, I decided I wanted to continue my studies. Um, This is after going to art school and getting an illustration degree, and I uh, I just really wanted to learn... I just wanted to up my skills in drawing and painting. I just wanted to be so much better. And so um, I started looking for an artist who, whose work I admired and and who I could go study with. And I really didn't know where to turn. Um, I was looking at certain magazines and starting to get in the know a little bit. Um, I was seeing work from Tony Ryder and Will Wilson and Nelson Shanks and... Um, you know, seeing that stuff was was exciting to me, and um, and then a friend turned me on to the Art Renewal Center website, and they had a list, um, and still do, of ateliers where you can go study, and so I started going through the list, and I came across Jacob Collins and his Water Street Atelier, and that was that was kind of it. I, I knew exactly that's the place where I wanted to go. Um, you know, it was Jacob's work, uh, that sold me in. And, um, you know, it's hard to put your finger on exactly kind of what you're drawn to sometimes in, in paintings. But, um, you know, I think with Jacob's work, it was just this, this combination of ability and style and taste that I just didn't see, um, I just wasn't quite drawn to uh, anyone else's work uh, like that that I had seen. Um, And so I emailed Jacob and, um, you know, a little back and forth and and took the trip to New York to do the interview with him and, you know, the whole process. And, you know, he offered me a spot to study with him in Water Street. And um, so I was I was lucky enough to go up there and do that. And um, today I am uh, uh, just honored to have him uh, as a guest on the show. So I hope you enjoy what I think is really one of the best episodes of this podcast. So give it a listen. Okay, I'm really excited to have Jacob Collins on the phone with me. Jacob, how are you? Thanks for thanks for doing this. Hi, Danny. I'm, I'm doing just fine. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me on your podcast of course um so i want to start just by just by talking about what's going on with you right now as an artist what are you what 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 do you got going on in the studio um any shows coming up or what's happening okay uh let's see i'm right now i'm even as we speak i'm i'm sculpting i'm working on a little half-life size female figure Hmm. uh which is um, just incredibly fun. Um, I'm not, uh, I haven't been professionally a sculpt, a sculptor, yeah. but I sculpted a, a lot when I was uh, a kid starting out and I really loved it. And then I sort of lost track of it. Um, uh, as, as my painting career took off and I got busy and one, I had a lot of things happen in a row. 
uh, and this sort of became a dormant thing, which I was always, it was always in my mind and I didn't do it. I hardly did it at all for about 25 years. And then just a few years ago, I started sculpting again and it's just been great. Super cool. Pleasure. Is that something, is that sculpture work something you're going to, uh, you know, sell or show in galleries? Yeah, I have, uh, I have the idea that I'll, I've got about, I've done about maybe, I guess, 10 heads that I have five of them. I've made molds, but I haven't cast. Mm, cool. And then, um, I've got about five of them here that are in clay. And, uh, so I'm, I'm a relative, I mean, relative to my sculpture experience, I'm a rel I'm pretty experienced at making clay sculptures, but that's just a tiny little bit of what it is, I guess, right. to make sculpture. So the whole casting and then the casting into bronze and then finishing, I just, I'm just incredibly inexperienced. I did a tiny, yeah. I did like, little i got one two little bronzes when i was really young so so a long way to go with that uh but uh my goal is yeah i have a I'm, i really would love to start sort of exhibiting and selling if possible cool with these as, as bronzes um so we'll, do we'll you, see how that goes yeah no that's cool um do you like that process the the casting and bronzing and all that it seems like i don't gonna, even yeah. i don't even really know yet i'll have to find yeah. out <laughs> and i like the idea of it right. but uh like i said i'm 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 just a probably in a way that's foolish i've been making all these uh sculptures bringing them up to relatively finished clay mm -hmm. and then not i think you probably <laughs> it would make sense that you have to carry them all the way through so that the next one you start, you kind of know what it is you're starting. Right, um, right. As it is, I have all these things that have taken to a certain point, but the overall effect of them as artworks, I'm, I'm <laughs> totally ignorant as to what I'm, what's going to happen. What, what are they going to yeah. be? Like, what, what, yeah. is, what is the actual material going to do to the to this sculptural forms I'm building? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to doing it, but it's also daunting the amount of time and energy and money it takes to make, to make a, to buy yeah. a sculpture. Oh, I guess. My next, yeah. my, my terms of exhibiting, my, my goal that I have in mind is to have uh, my next show be figures with uh, paintings, uh, oils and drawings and bronzes. Of awesome. New, okay. You know, nudes and heads. Okay. So it'll. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm imagining. Awesome. So the paintings will be nudes, also in the nude. Uh, I've got a bunch of figures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, until around, it was right around ten, or a little more than ten years ago, I was painting a lot of figures in my studio, mm -hmm. and it really was what I was doing intensely, sort of almost primarily for a while and then I kind of maybe I felt like I had done it plenty or burnt out or something and then uh, I moved on and I did a big show of uh, landscapes and mm -hmm. then I did a, a show of uh, still lifes and then another show of like another show of uh, still lifes and I've been sort of working in a lot of different things right and so it's nice to get back to the well and some of those um some of those shows have been kind of combinations right figures and still life yeah I, i've had some, a bunch of shows yeah yes absolutely 
absolutely. But I haven't really had that kind of really deep into the figure kind of thing as much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the last um, little bit. So that's what I'm doing now. Cool. Um, that kind of leads nicely into another question that I wanted to ask you, which is, is there something that, is there anything you feel like you haven't accomplished in painting that, that you want to achieve? Or is there, you know, some goal that you have out there? Um, um, I mean, cause you've kind of done everything, you know, like, so I don't know. But we all have things inside that we've been thinking about for a while and just haven't, yeah. for whatever reason, haven't done or. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm feeling like a little bit, just my spirit is just, can I try to make things that are decent? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, can I, can I acquit myself? And not have to feel bad. <laughs> so that's kind of a yeah. classic way of thinking. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. I think we sort of all all go through that. Um, <laughs> can I just feel good at the end of the day? Can I have made some paintings that seem yeah. by you know historical standards or by the standards of the artists that I look at and think about? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's like, it's good. So, so like, can, I, can I actually make paintings that are beautiful and excellent? And and I guess paintings that you feel you know stack up against the painting artists you've admired throughout time. Yeah, I don't think I specifically yes, but not so. I don't think I'm thinking at this point like in a measured against them way, but just I've absorbed a sense of all of this art that I've spent all these years thinking about and can I do art that's like that? Right. I do art that doesn't make me feel that it's just really, you know, that it's sort of bad and boring and badly done and flat, emotionally dead with no poetry. (laughs) That's the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what, that's probably a hard question, but, um, are there are there times periods in your your life of painting where you feel like you've uh, accomplished that better than other times? Um, yeah, I would say it's hard to say when those are, but it comes yeah. and goes. Yeah, um, I feel pretty. Um, you know, it's it's hard because it's usually it's only afterwards that I feel that. Mm. or feel that accurately i look back and i'd be i'll say you know boy i wish i was painting great then i wish i could do that again right right if if i'm if i'm um if i really remember accurately i probably at the time was thinking then about some other time and thinking gosh (laughs) i wish i I could paint like that again yeah yeah so i don't think i usually I'm full of uh, anxiety and um, a feeling of underperforming. I mean, not exclusively because I'm not super miserable, but um, (laughs) I think, yeah, it it, it can be, um, 
you know, it's not like when I'm the times that I've done my best. I don't think I was running around bragging about how good right. I was. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting phenomena that, because um, I'll do that all the time. Look at look at paintings I've done, you know, three, four, five years ago, and think, wow, I don't. I feel like I'm not that good anymore. Like it's a strange. Mm -hmm. um, could I like could I could I accomplish that painting today? I'm not. A lot of times I'm not quite sure, but mm -hmm. then, you know, you just sort of keep going and then, yeah, I'm sure five or 10 years. And then a couple years more, right. Then yeah. you look back and you realize, wow, I was, that was really great. So yeah. I don't even remember when I was comparing myself unfavorably to that earlier time, a years later, I'll realize, well, I was actually doing better. It was maybe I had left behind something that I liked a lot, but I mm. had gained mm -hmm. something else and I really was. And that's all the more, re I mean, I, it's, it's so funny I'm, as a, you know, one of the things I've been helpful with, you know, mentoring and teaching is to help people by all kinds of coaching and almost like sh shrink like um, influence to, mm -hmm. to not judge, just don't judge, just stop yeah. judging yourself. Doesn't help. Never makes what you're doing better. You right. should judge the work. And this is, a, it can be a tricky uh, distinction yeah. judging the work in, uh, to a very high standard is is very different from judging yourself and you can judge the work in a way that basically is like a form of judging yourself which is bad <laughs> or you can judge the work in a way where it's like trying on a kind of problem-solving way not just right. technically but also in the kind of the spirit of it to pro make it try to make it a uh, make it better, make it richer, make it, you know, but the whole thing of thinking I'm this, I wish I were that. Why can't I be this yeah. used to be, or, or like this other guy, or I'm so this, or, you know, that's just, I'm, I'm, you know, nobody, I never, I'll never be cured of that, but I'm better than I used to be. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it's just the more I can not do that, the happier I am. And probably, the better work I'll end up doing because you stay away from kind of self-destructive right. elements. Well, yeah, then, and then you're just full of self-doubt and you probably won't do things. Uh, you might hold yourself back from, from making certain decisions mm -hmm. in the painting that would have been good ones, but you, yeah. you know, questioning it the whole time. Right. Um, well, you could be full of self-doubt, but you could also make you full of a kind of a, over inappropriate self-confidence yeah it's, it's yeah, almost sure. like the, the bad the bad thing isn't the self-doubt it's not the doubt part of it but maybe it's the self part of it right maybe you shouldn't be including your sort of assessment of yourself in your own in, in the work you if you can somehow get free from that mm -hmm. then maybe maybe you'll do better but anyway so i, I try yeah. to not do that as much and try to just keep steadily focused and try to be working and staying inspired and mm -hmm. positive or whatever. Is, is there a new, um, cause I remember, you know, when I was there studying, um, you, you were often having new insights about painting that you would get really excited about. Mm -hmm. And then, and then subsequently the whole studio would get really excited about, is there anything, um, 
right now that uh, kind of a, any sort of new insights you've had recently that, that you're excited about? Hmm. Um, probably, usually there's things like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure I could name, name them. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'll probably think of something, but yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of times it's, it's more of a, of a feeling, I guess, mm-hmm. um, than something you can kind of put your finger on. Um, uh, you mentioned kind of um, sort of stacking yourself up or, or or not necessarily doing that, but but maybe making paintings that you feel like are worthy of of kind of mm-hmm. being in this continuum of, of great painters. Um, is there a painter from from history that, that you're kind of most intrigued with right now? Not particularly. Yeah. I, I'm not really thinking historically very much. I mm-hmm. guess what I was trying to say before, per- perhaps I would, if I could express, would, yeah. is that uh, there's a sort of a sense of what what it is that this, what it is that I kind of feel like I've absorbed in a large way, like an overall big picture way of what 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 that painting is and it, it, it when it separates from individual artworks and even individual centuries or schools or uh styles and periods it just eventually becomes a kind of ambient aesthetic that is like the feeling the skillfulness the the uh you know the 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 language of the paint of, of those painters being well spoken, like well, uh, you know, so that a, a fluency in that language of painting. Mm-hmm. And I would say that at a certain point, you spend en- enough decades thinking about that, absorbing it. Then my the thing I'm describing is wanting to be speaking that language in a way that feels like. I'm doing the thing in a way that I feel I'm succeeding. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so that it would be like, if I really want to speak German really well, and like, I know this guy spoke German incredibly well, and that guy spoke German really beautifully. And, and uh, I've spent all this time, you know, going to German movies where, what, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. At a certain yeah. point, it's not like, Oh, which, which German speaker do you want to speak like? I'm like, no, I just want to, I just want to be. A, right. I just want to be speaking German beautifully, yeah. And and even though it's through the in, through the intersection of my experience with those individual German speakers that I've absorbed the sense of what it is to do it well, mm-hmm. I'm no longer aware of the individual. I mean, I could be. I could go back and be like, oh, I just love that. That's whatever. I mean, I'm just. I have no interest particularly. It's nothing I've thought about. But there would be somebody who was some great. German movie star of the 1950s, and I'd say, ah, look at that, yeah. look at the, the diction, the pronunciation, whatever right. it is. Right, yeah, you'd um, appreciate certain things, yeah. But that's not the thing. The thing is, like, it's the language. And you could say that about, you know, playing the violin or whatever. There's, this, there's the doing the thing where there's all of these wonderful exemplars, mm-hmm. and ultimately it all fuses into the aesthetic of the practice. Right, right. And so... 
That's yeah, so it's more rhythm. it's more sort of finding your own place within this larger uh, uh, art form, I guess. I think it is, but it's also maybe if I would be consistent with what I was saying before, I'm not sure that I right now or, or maybe ever, I'm not sure, would want to focus so much on finding my own place because maybe I would just want to allow that place to allow that right. to happen. Right, right. You're not you necessarily know, my, trying to do that, but you just want to do yeah. the thing. It's by right. doing the thing really well yeah. that probably yeah. somebody else later will say, oh, look, sure. he really has his own voice. Right. But I guess I'd leave that to other people. And if my voice isn't clear and interesting or whatever, but I still mm. did it well, that's all right. I mean, it would be better maybe. Yeah, in my own sense of my posterity, if people said, "Oh boy, Jacob Collins, blah blah blah," <laughs> um, I'd love that. But in the meanwhile, um, if I am just simply spending the time in my studio making things that I feel are good, yeah, that's that's all I can ask for. Yeah, it's sort of uh, un unconscious, I guess, or natural that you're going to sort of. Um, uh, you know, sort of have your own voice. Um, yeah. um, that's kind of an interesting thing though. Do you think there's any, um, it's interesting to me. Um, do you think there's, uh, do you think there's a place for sort of actively trying to create your own voice or pursue that? I think idea? so for some, I mean, look for other, I think maybe, I've done that or maybe I w uh, in the past or certainly the idea of the kind of glory hound artist isn't like a bad thing. There's a lot <laughs> of artists who've been obsessed with their reputation uh, and they, they yeah. suited their personality and they made great things in a kind of vain as, as kind of vain people. They made great, uh, great art you know, composers who wanted to be even more famous than their rivals and stuff hmm. and painters likewise. Um, I would say maybe, maybe for me, what would be required for that shallowness to be a good thing. So for vanity and the love of fame to be in to, to contribute to an artist being better other than worse. I think the condition that would have to obtain would be that the art world that that artist was operating in would have to be healthy and full of values. So ultimately a person who's vain, they're going to be conforming they're going to be satisfying that desire for fame or that vanity or whatever. Um, by conforming to the uh, the conditions that are that are universally held, the values. So if if the art world has strong values that have been built up I by see. other people, yeah. then the person is like, I'm going to be. Suppose you really absolutely loved, uh, you know, what everybody universally understood in. Uh, whatever, 19th century, by 1820s French painting when the academy was strong or something, then a person who's desperately eager to be famous 
and eager to be have a huge reputation and be known and as great, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to conform to the structure of whatever the the, the rungs of the ladder of fame of in that time have yeah. been built by people who were I don't know maybe artists that you might argue were great artists and but now I would say. It's, it would be hard to be a vain person now. I mean, not that I'm not vain in a lot of ways, but w- to aspire <laughs> to vanity now and do <laughs> and do and have your art get better for it. Because I think this sort of structure of fame right now is mm-hmm. isn't, to, at least to my sense, uh, valuable. It's not going to lead a person to doing better things if they conform to the art culture at large. Right. Or even that, various of the of the sub sub art cultures at large. I think they're they're all relatively bankrupt in one way and another. Mm. So I think an artist's best choice at this moment is to try to be particularly free. I mean, if their if their best if their goal is to try to do something that might be in the long run appreciated as as wonderful, you know, bad, you know, in the some way beautiful poetic all that mm-hmm. um they probably do better to be not trying to be famous because fame is a fame is an outward thing and it, right now the out the outward world uh, in art i don't think it's rewarding to uh i'm repeating myself yeah uh, well, it's, it's sort of it's kind of paradoxical too, because that that pursuit is a very, like you just said, it's sort of a very outward kind of looking thing, mm-hmm. and so right. that kind of like where you sort of try to differentiate yourself or get a bunch of attention, it's actually not a very um, you're sort of relying on. I guess what else's I would opinion, say is I guess. attention with whom if you're yeah, if you're trying sure. to get attention as a scholar amongst a group of people, a world that's led by tremendously scholarly scholars, then your, your sort of outward looking eagerness to get patted on the head is very likely going to lead you to be making some pretty scholarly work. If you know, if you're a bright guy and you know full well that the people judging your work and you want to be a big shot among them, if those people are, they're going to be clear, acute judges of scholarship. You better mm-hmm. do a damn right. good job right. and have some pretty interesting and deep ideas that are well researched. Uh, so, in that case, being very outward could be a, an expedient way to do quite good work. At sure. that point, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think right now, I think, I mean, in the long run, even in a time like that, it's probably not going to lead to works of great originality and genius because probably you always have to be relatively interior in your motivation, what people would call authentic in your motivation to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess there's room in the world for all kinds of people to do well in different circumstances. And I think there are people who do quite excellent work who are probably relatively you know, shallow or whatever you'd call it, or, or inauthentic in their motivation, who are simply trying to get patted on the head. If, mm. they, if the context that they're trying to get patted on the head in is a context of excellence. Right. That's my point, I guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I think right now, for the kind of art I'm interested in, I, there's, no, there's no structure out there. It's not as if there's all these 
sort of great reviewers or famous artists or line lineup of some academy that's going to judge a painting I make that's incredibly good if I would ever do one like that. And they would all just be, make a huge clamor and everyone would say, this is the, it just doesn't seem likely that's going to happen in the world we live in right now. Not to say that there won't be people that will love what I do. And I feel very successful, incredibly lucky to be as successful as I am and sell my pictures and have people who really appreciate me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in any way complaining and boohooing that I wish the world appreciated me because I think it really does. Really, yeah. I'm really thankful about that. I'm only yeah. saying that the the goal to try to be, I think it may long-winded answer your question, but <laughs> to sort of try to be have the outward glamour and fame in the world. I, I don't think the, my, I guess I would say my goals, the values that I most aspire to, mm-hmm. I don't think are the values that the world is going to particularly make a big fuss about. Yeah. And that's been something I've been sort of thinking about uh, lately too. It's just, just, um, just being, just making work that's sincere and just really authentic, and just deciding I want to do this because I care about it, and that's that's really the uh, has to be like the motivation for for what what we're going to paint. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> okay, I wanted to ask you about your. Uh, something I ask everyone, what, what's your schedule like? Um, I think it's fascinating just to, just to know how, how different artists spend their time. Um, so, you know, just how much, how much time are you getting to spend in the studio and how much time are you teaching and hanging out with the family? Um, I guess let's see. Um, on a, well, this season's particularly hard Mm -hmm. because there's just a million things. There's like, uh, Yesterday morning at 9.15, I had my son's first grade teacher conference. <laughs> so that kind of yeah. that morning was kind of blown. <laughs> and then tomorrow morning, I've got my daughter's teacher conference. So there's that. And then yeah. there's events, people I have to meet and different things. And so that's all gets sort of thrown mm-hmm. in and there's, Thanksgiving coming up and mm-hmm. uh, next week. So, but let's just pretend there aren't any of those things. I would mm-hmm. get up and often I like to have a model at eight. Okay. And I've been painting a figure and the model poses from eight to noon or eight to 11. That way, I even if I really, really want to, I can't get my day started off procrastinating. Yeah. Because the model who I'm paying shows up and I've got a couple of other of my former students here working with me and it would be pretty, make me look pretty bad if I were to just sit around procrastinating. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so let's say I'll work and then I'll try to keep working. And right now I'm stop. I have a portrait commission person arriving at three thirty four. Okay. So I've been working on this sculpture, not from the model, it's a sculpture I've been doing from the model, but I'm working on it sort of in a models in absentia okay. to try to get it where I get it better. Or I'm sort of trying to build the three-dimensional 
structure to make sense. Hmm. You know, actually I have it really low down and I'm looking at it from above to make sure that okay. the depths on the right and left are, it's really easy to screw that up. Um, and then the model will come to so my, my portrait subject will come. I'll work on that for a bunch of hours and then, um, then it'll be dinner. I mostly haven't been working after dinner anymore. What until about 10 years ago, I very often would get back to work and put in about four more hours after dinner. Yeah. But I've been finding that I, I think whether it's painting or drawing or sculpture, I I've been getting repetitive stress injury in my right arm oh, or wow. neck or all. So if I work about eight hours a day, I'm probably fine. Once I get up to 11 or 10 or 12 hours a day, yeah, I, I tend no, well, I should do some experiments because I really do love working really a lot. It's just such a pleasure. Yeah. Works tons and tons, but I've sort of, I just have had some really, really awful, frustrating neck back hmm. problems so if i work if i put if i go from eight to six i'm usually i'm pretty good i teach yeah. one afternoon a week okay. which is um that's that's a great pleasure it's not too much it doesn't make me feel if i taught more than that i'd probably be resentful i've always been like yeah that. i mean when you were with, yeah. with me i was always teaching i don't know one afternoon maybe i was one morning or whatever it is one four hours a week is a good amount of teaching for me yeah. If I'm doing more, I'll start to feel like it's more than I feel like I'm not free. Right. 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 Um, so are, are you doing anything? Um, uh, are you, are you doing anything physically kind of, uh, exercise wise or anything? You to know kind what? Of not, some I, of that stuff? Not, which is terrible. I was running yeah. oh, a lot. Cool. I was running like, Putting in like a three mile run every day for wow. like two years, and I was really great. I was getting really, I was getting in great shape, and I was yeah. doing really. I, and then I got a heel spur, and, it, mm. and I tried to run through it. It was awful, and then I stopped. And then when I stopped, I just haven't done anything. So I've gained about twenty pounds or something more. I don't know. Um, so I need to. I'm just about yeah. to start. I think I'm going to go do start doing yoga because I think that's going to be my mm. foot feels better, but still. I think yeah. maybe some, I should do yoga or maybe some, and I definitely, that's a really good question because I'm, I'm very um, conspicuously not doing any exercise. That's terrible. Well, it's, I but mean, I it's just, I, a, it's just another one of those things that to, to try to squeeze in the schedule around all of the other yeah. things, you know, it's sort of, and, and of course it's so hard to get back into once you sort of lose momentum on that. Yeah, um, but I, it's important, you know. So yeah, I, it is. You, you know, so I'm 53 now, you know, you get a sort of fork in the road, and next thing you know, you're like kind of a pretty immobile, yeah, not physically not okay old guy. Right. And uh, I would really love to have that not happen. Yeah. So if I worked yeah. hard at it the next little bit, I think I could put the effort in, make it go. Mm hmm. Um, so let's talk about um, Grand Central Atelier. Um, mm -hmm. What's you know how what's your general feeling about about the school in terms of uh, you know how it's going, training a new group of artists, and uh, you know are you happy with 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 where the students are at and any concerns? Um, yeah, I, I'm. It's it's 
as you know, it's it's sort of like a second career. Mm-hmm. Sort of caught me by surprise because I never thought of myself as a, you know, that I would be a have that as my identity, but it's become that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I feel happy. I'm a little. I'm uh, I'm I'm always frustrated, <laughs> but I'm but I'm also always happy I'm, I feel quite um you know always a bunch of people who are really great leave and then it feels like oh no it's not like it used to be yeah when there was all these great people and then one by one the people that are left behind not every single one but very often they just start to get really good and i'm sort of amazed the new group's even better or at the same level so that's that's great there's a lot yeah. of great people um one thing that's really happened about grand central in the last little while is that it's so not like all about me, which mm. is just a kind of dream I had. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, and, and I would say maybe I'm just overly sort of tickled with myself, but I would say that I, I really, really do not have that phenomenon, which they call sort of the founder's syndrome, which is the inability to let go. Mm. Um, yeah. And because um, the watching the watching the changes develop, I mean, particularly not always. If, if things go in a bad way, I get I get to feel that that's not good. But right. watching, like you know, a lot of the people who are really uh, involved are just becoming really really good teachers, and uh, and uh, the it, people are influencing each other. It's not, I'm always, that's always had. They've always had right. always been sort of miraculously surrounded by extremely gifted people. I think I have a, I don't know, a little bit of a, I don't know, a magnetic attraction for <laughs> very talented people. Yeah. I don't know like why, why that is, but it's just always been that way. And then I think maybe I'm, I'm helpful or I'm able not always, but some of the time to be very, uh, find ways to help people unlock what they got in there. Mm-hmm. Um, or not even me personally to help make an environment where people feel confident to go where they're going or something. Yeah. But anyway, that's happened a lot. And recently the school is becoming much like, you know, there's a lot of great stuff going on, particularly, uh, you know, some of the people who are really becoming, you know, having their careers take off both in, in teaching. I mean, there's a lot of people just now, but like, especially Colleen Barry, as you know, yeah. has become such an exceptional draftsman. Um, so it's going, it's going well. Um, there's a lot, we have a, we're just now in a kind of a great spot with a lot of people working hard, getting really good at drawing and painting. Uh, we've just recently gotten a, uh, the international student visa. So we can hmm. have, we've, we've had people who weren't Americans before, but they've always had to have some way of being here, meaning that yeah. they were had American citizenship through a parent or they had some special way that they figured out how to do it. Right. Um, but, but now we're able to grant the visa. So I'm really excited about wow, being able yeah. to grow and to have the flavor of our community. I don't know. I think that'll be really nice. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, uh, we just a couple years ago sort of shifted to, to it's, it, we've always been, or not always, but it's been a four year program for ages 
Right. And just in the last bit, we're um, we've made it into it's still a four year program, but like a, uh, the first year when people come, we've made it into hope what's a, like a freestanding one year program that is this very, hopefully very intensive drawing program. Mm-hmm. It seems to be pretty good, working really well. Where if a person does it and finishes it and wants to go, then they'll will be able to. Hopefully, they've gotten something really, really good. Yeah, like really good, and then they can go and do whatever they want with it. And if they want to come back, and we have a one-year painting program that is very that sort of flows right out of that, they can apply to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if they want to apply to do that, they do that. And so, right now, we're just having our first year of the painting program. So last year was the first year of the drawing program. Um, and that seems to be working really well. And then subsequently, they all people can apply to a third and fourth year, which was like a more intense, like really go deep. Hmm. Uh, and it was a chance to do more structure sculpture and think more about figurative structure and more, and then also do things like go into still life painting and landscape painting and uh, okay. a lot of other things that they may have touched on, but not been able to go so deep on. Um, so that, that's gone. That's nice. I'm excited about that. It's, couple reasons why we did it and it seems to be paying off that we would always have a lot of attrition people would come and say they were going to do four years yeah but either either they knew full well that they weren't which is because they just they wanted to come get some or they came and it turned out that it was like they couldn't stay they had some you know family problem or new york is not a place for them or financial problem right and so in the past, it always had this rather unfortunate feeling of people would leave with a kind of feeling of a, like a black cloud. It's like, oh, you didn't even do what you said you would. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like, it, turned, it seemed to like, why do that? Why not have people yeah. come and do what they do and then shake their hand and wherever they go and, is when they go. Right. And so if they want to do uh, a year, so then in that way we have all these ambassadors of goodwill out there, right? <laughs> all these people who are like, you, you drop out. Yeah. And so, um, and then ironically, it seems like we have less attrition than we were having before anyway, because I think the fact that it's a little more people come in hmm. with a sense, it's really the timing is like, you've got to, you don't have that long to do this. Right. So I think that's, that's giving people a sense of, let me really push because I want to. Oh yeah, that's important. Yeah. And then you you got to apply to do the second year because it's nice also that it allows us, if we have people that really aren't suitable for whatever reason, uh, it's much easier to be able to say, um, uh, you know, it's not like kicking a person out. It's a pretty unpleasant thing to have to do. Right. Whereas if people apply and we say, Oh, you know, it's not, quite right that's it feels it feels sort of like an easier prospect um so anyway it's it feels like that's going really well and it's kind of uh one other thing also is that i I had this feeling like this sort of calling it four years officially maybe had a little bit like the flavor of school like four years high school four years college and right certain kinds of artists just don't want to go to school yeah. Um, they did that. They feel like they're done with that and they just don't want to. So, and I sort of was thinking about years ago when I really had my studio, like when you came, it was much more of a sort of likelihood of having sort of oddball types who aren't going <laughs> to, 
like <laughs> sign up for a four year program. Yeah. Either people who think they're such geniuses that they couldn't possibly <laughs> need four years anywhere. And I don't want those people to not come or people who are like, yeah, that's true. I, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, Scott Waddell went were, there for a year. Right. And, and well, I mean, he did more than that, but yeah. Um, and I, you know, I feel like it's great to have people who simply because of their emotional, um, emotionally, it's just, not they're not suited to sort of sign up for a four-year program yeah. so they'll come for one year and then interestingly like years ago when i was doing the it was much more like kind of unusual eccentric type of situation back when 20 years ago i had a lot of unusual people who came around mm-hmm. who were just the sort that i'm describing and then but often they stuck around even though they never would have imagined in advance that they were going to yeah but you know they so anyway that's that's sort of my thought is like I wouldn't mind if if we had a you know making the making it a kind of a environment that's suitable for kind of more people like that, so that's happened also already, yeah, that's cool, and it seems like it kind of makes sense too because if you if you know if you just say, oh, this is four years and then it sort of implies that well. It takes exactly four years to get these this mm-hmm. certain set of skills. You know, it's yeah. like it's just yeah. it's different for people. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's. And cool. then also, it does say that it just it just says a lot of people don't don't want to be able to say they don't want to have to promise that they know where they're going to be right. in three years or yeah. four years. Who knows? Well, in and New so York is somebody, a hard place to live. I mean, for yeah. people that don't grow well, that up was there, happening. yeah. Right. People would come and then New York proved too much for them financially yeah. or uh, just in terms of the culture wasn't where they needed to be. Right. So, but anyway, the irony is that it, it is, it, it does, even though we're not asking for people's promise, it does seem like people come and because it, it's a pretty, it, it's, a, it's a pretty, I think, sort of inspiring environment for a lot of people so that they come and then they, they kind of want to be more part of it over time. Mm-hmm. Don't want to leave. Yeah, I mean, I think environment. Uh, just to touch on something you said a minute ago, I, uh, you know, with teaching, I think environment is is just so key. It's probably the most important thing because then you have the situation mm-hmm. where students learn from each other, and that's the, mm-hmm. and people drive each other, and there's a little bit of there's healthy competition, and yeah. I think that's that's it's so, so yeah, it's huge. Um, Anyway, is there, is there, uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time and I want to get to another topic, but, um, maybe quickly, is there, is there anything, what's different in terms of training now than say maybe what was happening five or 10 years ago? Well, I think one thing that's particularly different is, um, uh, it, it does have to do with uh, Colleen or a bunch of people and Colleen, I'm just naming her as sort of maybe a leading figure of mm-hmm. really trying to integrate a highly, highly, uh, observed, observed drawing into a real structural thinking. That's mm-hmm. always been on my mind and I was exposed to it a lot. And I was always, I always had the idea. I mean, it was always what I was trying to do, but I feel like, yeah. uh, it's just better. I think people are just getting to be able to, draw in that sort of humble, really observe it the way it appears way. Mm-hmm. And at the mm-hmm. same time, uh, you know, and also of course that core way of thinking that I've always taught, which is to, to make value decisions based on 
kind of conceptualization of form and light right, rather yeah, than yeah. observed tones. Mm-hmm. But then combined with that is, I think, a, a, in, in, fig, in a figurative work, just a much more high expectation that people become very, very thoroughly knowledgeable in figure structure, like cool. anatomy, figure structure. And I think that's causing a kind of a little bit of a revolution in the level of figure drawing. So is it is is the anatomy sort of rolled into that structure, or are you are you guys teaching anatomy sort of in a more traditional way, where you just go and you sort of talk about insertions and and pronation, or is it kind of rolled in there in the structure? It's more in learning how to draw, in in the process of building figures Mm -hmm. on the page. It's it's like, hey, what's this, you know? And then also asking people to you know, draw uh, from plaster eclochets or, mm-hmm. or the, the expectation was much, and I used to always push it, but people wouldn't do it. And then I didn't make a fuss. You know, I was always saying, Hey, look, once you've got the drawing block in, before you go make the friend, go home and take every one of the bones, either from, if you have a skeleton or from books, and yeah. try to assemble the actual skeleton inside your block in, mm-hmm. um, before you go ahead with the drawing, which is that's a big project and people yeah. do it once in a while, but not very much. And I think partially with the example of the exceptionally high level of Colleen's figure drawing, I think people are like, uh, uh, okay, this is, like, <laughs> this is a new standard. We better do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's been, um, uh, I think that that's, that's got to be probably nice for you, yeah. A particular change, and also it's nice that it's not me driving it. It's not well, yeah, me that's making what I was going to say. Kind of nice the, for you to be able to sort of not have to be the uh, the taskmaster, I guess, and step away and have a great and ambassador. Also in a funny way you know. for me to, to not even have to be the role model. I mean, mm-hmm. That sounds yeah. it's nice to be the role model, but it's also like you spend decades being everyone's role model, and uh, you realize that you're not exactly free. I mean, you are, but you're sort of like you have to hold up some way of being. But yeah, I don't feel right. exactly in the same way that all eyes are on me. Not to say that I, people might still admire my work. I hope they do, but I just don't feel the same sense of being the center of people's uh, what they're thinking they want yeah. to do. Yeah, and that's that, good. that feels that's not a bad feeling. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, congratulations because that's a great place for you to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's cool. Um, okay. Uh, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I do want to address. Um, so we were both just recently at the oh, face yeah. Did conference. you have fun? How'd you like it? I did like it. Yeah. I've always been sort of, um, I don't know. I'd never been to one of those conferences and I, and I always okay. sort of uh-huh. questioned uh, like what, uh, I don't know. The, what, what do you actually get out of it? Is it really... Mm-hmm. is it really worth it or what you know i don't know i've been i've been skeptical uh so this is the first one type of those conferences that i've been to and i actually i i, I did have a good time and i do feel like it was it was valuable um what what was your take on the whole thing well mainly i just love seeing everybody there's tons of people yeah. hardly ever see right so yeah and that fun. that's one of the that really um i think that's one of the one of the best benefits is just kind of getting to see all these people and and have and just being able to sit down and have conversations with people that Mm -hmm. 
you know, and and for people who who haven't gotten to kind of go and do, you know, study at Florence or study with you or, you know, people sort of mm-hmm. feel like they're kind of on the outside looking in. It's a great opportunity to go and you can, you know, you can go to one of these things and you can sit down and have a conversation with Jacob Collins or Graydon Parrish. Yeah. Or, you know, that's yeah. that's great. Um, yeah. uh, so you gave a talk um, mm-hmm. that I thought was a little bit controversial. Um, oh, good. Nobody acted like it was. I was really? Looking, I mean, I didn't. He, nobody told me they thought it was controversial. <laughs> and I was hoping, not that I wanted to hurt anyone's feelings or anything, but I was yeah. hoping that there would be. You know, I even at the end of it, I was asking people to. You yeah, know, right, right. Argue with me. I wanted people to. I yeah. wanted to have a, a big argument, not in a negative way, because it's just right. fun. You you sort of hone your thoughts by by having to be having them challenged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and I think people, I think maybe a lot of that was people, I don't know, maybe just didn't quite, I think people were taken aback and didn't know how to kind of process it a little bit because, because yeah, go go ahead. Ahead. <laughs> oh, I think, well, well, just to be, for the audience, what I was saying was yeah, that right. the, I felt like there's this kind of crisis and that we don't really have, or what I really want, and I've always wanted is for there to be a, a healthy art world and for my students and my friends and for some reason i've always i mean my market could evaporate any minute also but Mm -hmm. i've always thought more about the other artists that i've like i spent all this time teaching people and having them hopefully become excellent and the idea that they do become excellent and then nobody's buying their pictures or not enough people are buying their pictures for them to be full-time artists yeah and that gives me a lot of unhappiness and that in the world i I thought that that was going to happen. This is sort of reprising my talk a little bit. And then all of a sudden yeah. it didn't happen. And then uh, I thought, well, what, what's going on? And then I proposed that in order for that to really happen in a positive way, there needs to be a real group of patrons because patrons like as a serious group are the ones that serve as the nexus between an art movement and, and the world and how to project it. And so it's the patrons that, the people that are really involved and dedicated to an art movement. <clears throat> and then I was suggesting that the patrons, patrons will only, or not only, but I'm saying that in this case, making the argument that the patrons will um, uh, support their art movement through connoisseurship, meaning through knowing, really knowing deeply about it, learning about it, becoming sort of experts so that if they have friends or if they're a writer, they really know and they can write about it. If they're, if they're a collector or a dealer or a curator, they just know every little thing front to back about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my next suggestion was that in order for patronage to really happen, there has to be categories because you can't be a patron. You can't be a connoisseur of something uh, that's very vague. You have to have, right. really have a sense of category. And in right. arts and, and artisanal forms, my argument was that the categories have to be based on studio practices, how it's made, what are the tools, what are the sort of schemes that are generally adhered to by the people in the group. And that means you have to have a kind of a split, different, yeah. different people doing you know how does this people do it? how do these people do it why do they do it this way what's this group about blah 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 and so 
and then I was proposing that one of the one way that that could start would be to say the making of the painting, the making of the image. How does that go about? And I was suggesting that the like artists who in their studio are sitting there with a photograph or with a computer screen or manipulating, creating basically the image that ends up as the painting through a photograph should be talking about that and, and advocating mm -hmm. that as the way that they think is interesting to themselves and to other people and potentially their patrons and other artists maybe who are working from, from a computer screen or who, who are from, who are developing their image in Photoshop and doing what I consider rather fascinating. And I don't, would no idea how to do it, but a kind of a, an old new amalgam where they're making art, where they're making their images with high technology or technology and then using old technology to actually execute the painting. And I was suggesting that it's through, and then for people like me who aren't doing any of that, having myself and anyone advocating that what I'm doing is interesting, here's how he does it. He makes the drawings. He doesn't use any photographs. Or then somebody saying, oh, here's how this person does it. He imports like three dozen digital photographs and then organizes it in Photoshop and does all of this filters and stuff and then prints it out and paints from that. I don't know. That was what yeah. was the gist of it. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so I, you know. But then why was, what was controversial? I just thought it seemed like everyone should be proud of the thing they do. And <laughs> if we're, if we're going to have, if we're going to have, uh, people really come around us in a major way yeah. and then it's just intuitively it feels like they're going to want to be engaged with the thing that we're doing yeah i mean i i think the to me what's controversial about it is well i, I don't know i guess part of it was the sort of the vibe of what, of that conference is was a very or i think what people wanted was a very sort of you know, yes, we're all part of this big movement together and we're yeah. all kind of on the same team. And then it felt right. like Jacob Collins got up and said, no, we're not on the same team. I'm like, I'm right. on this team and you're on that team. And, and what uh, I would say is a little bit like, okay, we're all imagining an analogy. You could say like, okay, there's, it's not like a conference of the beverage industry because it's like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, the beverage industry is like the root beer. It's like we're having, we feel like we're underrepresented and we want to have a special conference of the wine industry and we're all making wine. Mm -hmm. We're making wine and we feel like people don't care about it enough. But in order to really develop that following, we have to be able to say there's all these different kinds of wine. And in order for the connoisseurs to really care about it, there's people get we want to allow people to obsess on the various kinds of wine that we make. I made the analogy about if a person, nobody explained that some people make, you know, wine with, you know, bubbles in it, they'd be like, Oh God, it's gross. There's something must've turned something wrong with it <laughs> because yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's the way it is. Right. And my argument is that here's really what I'm saying. And this is a more, sort of about my own particular interest mm -hmm. is that the world at large, the, the public at large is extremely familiar with, and because of familiarity kind of defaults to uh, this uh, kind of 
the photographic image and then with paintings with modern people's paintings very often it's the photograph it's the image that kind of i would say is in intersection the painted image where it intersects with the photographic image is where people most people have their comfort zone and right so like for instance most kids or people who aren't who haven't been like in some nerdy egghead way spending most of their time at the Prado are gonna <laughs> come to me who want to be a classical painter and the artists that they'll name that they think of as the ones that are who they want to emulate mm. are the artists that were either working from photographs or very very strongly photo influenced by a photographic aesthetic so like uh, Bouguereau and Jerome and Zorn and Sargent are people that this is a group that, that everybody sort of says, this is what I want to paint like. And they're not saying Piero della Francesca and Goya and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and Roger van der Weyden. Uh, those people feel to modern eyes, they feel wrong to normal people. They feel there's not, they're unfamiliar the figures are clumsy their their the representation doesn't feel it doesn't ring out with the authenticity that we associate with the photographic image hmm. i don't have to say it's just it's just something that i think not yeah. like i'm saying oh everybody should like goya be, um, goya better than uh um uh, Bougaro. I'm only saying that people don't. And I think I'm, I'm mm -hmm. arguing that one of the reasons people don't is that the, the Goyas feel clumsy and awkward and they fail to be photographic. And that's fine. But you're, are, look I mean, are you, it sounds like, but Goya, I mean, it's almost like you're okay, equating, so, equating, I mean, I would say Bouguereau is, is much more skilled than Goya. So are you, okay, well, it almost sounds like right. you're equating highly skilled with, with photographic now. So do you think, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not, it partially, I mean, so there's all kinds of artists that, you know, you, would you say that, you know, uh, Hugo Vandergoes is, less skilled than Bouguereau? Um, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the first Oh, so like, like Memling or let's say, uh, you know, Van der Weyden, Roger, you know, Van Eyck. Okay. One of those 15th right. century Flemish painters. Yeah. They're there by this, you know, whatever. It's like, yes, if, if the standard of skill, like skilled at what? Skilled at trying to yeah. paint it so that... It's interesting. It's 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 not a non-question. It's a real question. No, so yeah. Skilled at something. Sure. And I would say that. Um, but I but you so, used to love Bouguereau. I mean, what what happened? Like, I'm not saying I don't love Bouguereau. Okay. I'm not saying I, no, I'm I, trying. I mean, when when I was there, like every, like everyone was into Bouguereau. Right. And I'm not and, saying that I'm either more for or against Bouguereau than other people. Or Jerome, I'm just saying. Or, okay. I'm not. I'm not saying that one of the things that's immediately perceived is like, uh oh, this has to become a 
is one side or the other thing. Yeah. And, and I was trying to make an analogy, like I was making a sports analogy. It's like, I really, really want to be a professional soccer player. And I really worked incredibly hard. But in the soccer league, everyone is picking the ball up with their hands and running around with it. Um, and so I want to have a really clear, I want the people that are going to be the patrons of my potential career. I want them to know that myself and all the other people who are trying to revive soccer mm-hmm. from its non-existence, supposedly, um, in my, in this example, yeah. that they're all not using their hands and that part of what they're doing is not using their hands. And then you could say, Oh my God, Jacob, I remember you used to love basketball. How could you be saying this? I'm saying, well, no, I'm not. I'm only saying that for whatever reason, I'm really interested in this sport form as opposed to art form that has an arbitrary rule that Mm -hmm. the participants who are doing it are doing it without their hands on purpose. And then anybody who wants to appreciate them for who they are. And then some of you say, well, why shouldn't you use your hands? And I would say you should if you want and you shouldn't if you want. Mm-hmm. But if you, if for whatever reason you're interested in the idea of this sport that has this past, and there's all these other people who did it in the past that did it, so that you can understand what they're doing. If you realize, because otherwise it'd be like, God, that guy's not doing a great job because why doesn't he pick up the ball? It's like, well, no, because he can't pick up the ball because that's the way that's the sport he's chosen to play. And you're yeah. like, that's ridiculous. You should just pick up the ball, and you should if you want, but if you don't want, you shouldn't. Yeah. So, but on the other hand, if you want people to appreciate what you're doing and that it's going to have, here's the thing, the reason I also, there's an attendant aesthetic to every set of t- uh, tools and, and the skills that develop around them. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that the artists, and this has happened, I think, increasingly recently, I think the art market for my particular subset in, in the realistic art scene uh yeah the art market is so overpoweringly dominated by practitioners who are using photographs and um and the a public who expects a photographic look right the artists who are trying to do it without photographs the aesthetic that would be the natural end point, not the, the aesthetic, but the, the, I guess the co-mingled aesthetic sensibilities that would, uh, you know, derive from their choices of their tools and their, and their practice, studio practices uh, are not seen, become invisible in a market that right, is completely right. dedicated to photography. So and photography, I think it's important to bear in mind, at least for me, isn't just a tool. It's also, there's an inherent aesthetic to photography and it's a very beautiful aesthetic. And I think one of the reasons why the 19th century painters used photographs wasn't because they needed them for drawing aids, which I think some of them, of course, it can help for all kinds of things. But I think because they loved the aesthetic of photography and they were astonished mm. by it. 19th yeah. century was like, there was no... I mean, I don't know whether there was no, but I think there was a great deal more faith in sort of progress and, and machines and prog- and all of that. And mm-hmm. so the idea of the, the aesthetic of the camera, I think, was dazzling and thrilling to these artists. And they wanted to make classical paintings that really had the aesthetic of the camera. Mm. And they succeeded. And I think a lot of those paintings are very beautiful. 
I think a person who wants to do that now, who wants to combine the aesthetic of the camera with the aesthetic of old painting, they could be, and tons of people are doing that very well, and they're very, and they deserve the success they have. I'm mm-hmm. only saying is the people who don't want to have the aesthetic of the camera uh, in their work are are not. They need. I would like for me, and listen, I'm advocating for the tools and skill sets, studio practices that I use, and I think you know the first half of my speech was everyone. If we create this, and people can divide and divide into their groups and say, ah, I make a, you know, a French Chablis and this is why it is the way it is. And this is how it's supposed to taste. And if it doesn't taste like a, you know, uh, you know, a California Cabernet, that's because it's not supposed to, you think, oh, this is the wrong color and it's mm. all thin. Then you're like, well, that's what it's, that's what I was trying for. And so yeah. don't judge me by the standards of one of my fellow and well-admired co-practitioners they're over there doing that incredibly well i'm over here doing this hopefully as well as i can yeah i want my students and myself and my friends to be appreciated based on the thing we're trying to do right right and until somebody says that and i think there's been a kind of a little bit of a (laughs) sort of mafia in this scene which is like people do try to bring this up and they get in huge trouble right away because everyone accuses them of, or people assume that they're trying to diminish. And I think it's probably the case. It's, it's a human frailty to feel yeah. like in order for me to be legitimate, I have to delegitimize some other person. It's like siblings. It's like my, uh Oh, Susie got all A's and that makes me worse. It's like, well, whatever. This just, that's just people assume that and do that. So people, yeah. but I really don't, I'd love to not do that, even though it's probably, yeah pretty it's just nature but i'd love to be able to say let's have everyone advocate for the thing they do in a positive way and i think and i believe go ahead well i think one of the difficult things about this is that people who work from life take a lot of pride in that and Mm -hmm. i think the people and rightly so um i mean maybe i'm not sure well okay maybe maybe not sure i'm not sure people should take pride in anything, I okay. mean, I mean, well, but who I, knows but what I people do should think, take pride in? Yeah, but I do think that people who work exclusively from life, um, you know, rightly or wrongly or whatever, I think, I think that, um, I think I that we you, do honestly, take a lot of pride in that. And then, yeah, but I but don't, I don't think the people, I don't think the people who work from photographs or from a computer screen or whatever. I don't think that's a point of pride for them. So I don't think they're going to like... So here's what I would say. For one, yeah. I don't want to be a jerk, but I think the people who take pride in working from life, and I, listen, I totally understand that, but I would maybe I would question whether they should do that because they're taking pride in the wrong thing. Mm. So what? Okay. I yeah. mean, I would right. say it's the ultimately you should advocate for what you do and you say, I love what I do, but I don't want to, like the idea that you're clucking because you did it the hard way, whatever that means. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, that's, that's probably going to make a person not be, the, have the freedom and the emotional, okay. rich, creative life that they would other have if they're, if they're, that they would otherwise have mm-hmm. if they're running, if they're, if they're spending all this time trying to, um, uh, uh, you know, somehow or other feeding on their own specialness. <laughs> yeah. So, but, 
Okay. But on the well, other hand, yeah. I would say a person who isn't proud of what they do and proud of what a person who doesn't want to have it be publicly known what they do, maybe shouldn't do that thing anymore. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that. I just think that I just think that they would they would like like to them that's not important. Like the important is the okay. important thing is the final product. And to them, however they got there, like it doesn't to them, that's right. sort of not important. So that's fine. It's about so the final. They, yeah. Right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, yes. Right. But I would say any art form, I mean art forms are arbitrary, I guess I would say. It's like people, people, have, people have to be somewhat primed to appreciate art forms. Like mm -hmm. if, if, I mean, we're all totally primed by the modern photo culture. There's a couple people who are primed. There. I mean, I know the people who spend an awful lot of time looking at paintings and, you know, Joshua Reynolds or, you know, 16th, 17th century Spanish painting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And those people have a certain way of looking at paintings, but just about everybody in the world is primed by this, the sort of the photo image. The, they have like photo conditioned eyes. Yeah. So what I would say is a person who's making a painting that's operating within the photo, uh, the, the the sort of broader photo conditioned aesthetic, mm -hmm. which has a lot of merit to it, probably wouldn't need wouldn't it wouldn't make a, it wouldn't be interesting or valuable or meaningful for them to talk about it. Just in the way, think about another example. About forty years ago or so, there was a beginning of a movement that was people refer to as the original instruments movement uh -huh. people saying yeah. oh we have to perform Bach and Handel particularly I think it was Baroque composers Corelli and Vivaldi uh, in the way that the composers intended we, yeah. we've done research and we found that oh the violin bows were different the strings were not steel wound strings they were cat gut strings and they didn't have big pianos and the, they they tuned to a different note. The tuning was a tiny bit lower, uh, and it, gradually over the 19th century, everything got tuned higher. Whatever, a million things like this. They mm -hmm. wouldn't have a giant chorus. They wouldn't have like the 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 you know Vienna Philharmonic and some gigantic you know eight you know 90 person chorus yeah. singing a Bach cantata. So they would have these tiny little groups. But those people, when they were doing that, they were very passionate about it. But they were proposing. It became very hot. I mean, I don't know much about it, but yeah. you know, I think it did get very upset. People got upset. People accused each other of everything. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but the people who were leading this little splinter group, they needed to advocate so that they could help to develop a connoisseurship for this rather, at the time, it seemed peculiar thing they were doing. These are the tools we want to use. These are the practices we want to use. Mm -hmm. And the aesthetic is going to result from what we think is what we love. And so then people who want to hear, you know, performances of Bach by gigantic orchestras with huge choruses, that's there. But then, if, but that's like 19th century German romanticism. That's the aesthetic everyone's expecting. So the people coming in with this other aesthetic, whether it's worse or better, but they're advocating for it, they've got to advocate for it. Mm -hmm. And it's the, okay. it's, the not, it's the one that not everybody is primed for. So for me to say, so if a person... Sure. A person then might say, like you suggested, this person who's using photographs would say, 
it doesn't matter. What matters is whether you what, what it how it comes out. A person who likes this big gigantic German romantic or orchestral arrangements would say, "What are you doing? It just matters how it sounds." Because the expectation is that the audience and everybody who's been going to concerts, whatever, for the last eighty years, knows that this is the thing that it is. Mm-hmm. Just with you like mm-hmm. it, you like it. And what is all this chit chat about what you're doing and why? I would say for the people for who care about doing it in this particular way where it isn't that the audience is preconditioned to like that because they're not used to it. And I would say, ironically, that the audience for this kind of uh, art that I'm talking about isn't used to it. And that's not better or worse. It's just that they're not used to it. But if for whatever reason, it's the thing I want to do and the people who come to me for their own reasons, whatever they are, who want to make it, then they're going to get outside and they're going to find that outside of a handful of rather sort of eccentric aesthetic types, this sort of the look of paintings that are handmade from without the photography that are not handmade, but that are made by, by with, without this use of the particular intermediating device of the camera mm-hmm. is going to have a kind of a, a look that isn't as popular. And I would say, in order for that look to be more popular, I'm going to say that the people who do this should might want to advocate for it, among other things. And this is just yeah. one little subsection. The worry that I would have is that the um, that w- without that, without a kind of passionate, without a hook for these potential patrons to grab, some little thing to be a connoisseur about. Yeah. I worry it'll just get boring and it's like, oh yeah, okay, it's kind of realistic, but it's not really very really good. It's pretty good. And what are you going to say? Oh, it's pretty realistic. What? What is that? Oh, right. Yeah. You know, well, I or guess, then, yeah. But, whereas if a person could say, these are the things that I know about it and I'm, for whatever, I've been, I spent all these years as a sort of fan of it, learning how to judge it and how to think about it. Those people are going to get pretty deep in. I don't mm-hmm. know. So that's my sort of just advocating my point yeah great um (laughs) (laughs) do you have any any, that make sense or no it does make sense Uh, um it's sort of um it makes me a little bit sad because it just it sort of says that it sort of suggests that people who are painting from life are just at, at a disadvantage out in the real world. Oh, oh I think and, they totally are. Yeah. Oh my God. And especially in the modern art world, if you want to paint, it's very, I've noticed there's a lot. I think in, in galleries that sort of fancy themselves as like, you know, more part of the art world continuum of, you know, museums and uh, whatever, all that, you know, that whole whatever, I don't even know what you'd call it, but like, yeah. The, the the avant-garde world, the artists, that, the galleries that try to have realism that are in any way connected to that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the and it's it's done a complete reversal from whatever fifty years ago. But I think an artist who paints reasonably realistically, like meaning their drawing skills are relatively refined in terms of their ability to represent accurately what they're looking at. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, 
the, the, an artist like that is, is almost going to have an incredibly hard a hard time in 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 an art in an, in like a what it would be called like a you know oh God, a respectable art gallery not like a oh, yeah. sort of um and and i think that if but on the other hand those galleries will often have paintings that are painted from photographs like almost like where it's clearly that's what they're about a little bit like a sort of a photorealist thing yeah. it's almost like it I guess I, I, I've actually had a friend of mine years ago, an old student of mine, who said that he was showing his work to somebody who was associated with a, somebody who worked at a very fancy New York gallery. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, God, your, your work just has that look. And my friend was sort of funny because he was sort of in a jokey way blaming me for ruining him <laughs> because his work has that sort of yeah. old master look. It just looks yeah. stupid and like nerdy and like so Renaissance <laughs> fair looking. <laughs> and so the kind of Renaissance fair quality of <laughs> work that's sort of in this tradition, like the, the, the uh, doing it from a photograph is kind of, I mean, not that it's better or worse. But I do. I don't think that you're as vulnerable to just being completely, not that I, it's not, I don't, I'm obviously, I'm not saying it's bad, but I do think I'm agreeing with you that it can be a terrible disadvantage because people identify the overly try hard quality that you get when the drawing's almost right, but not really right. Yeah. Which is inevitable. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything right. I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or, or yeah. <clears throat> mm. So what's the, I mean, What's the path forward? I mean, so you've got to have, what, well, have I mean, what's paths. the plan? Like what, so you've got to have, it sounds to me like you've got to have very big time influential galleries and gallery owners no, start to outwardly push that kind of work. Maybe. I mean, well, I don't it's about sales, like... right? I mean, it's about people making a living doing these types of work, right? I mean, ultimately, right? Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, it is. I'm not sure that big galleries are... Or somebody that's know. influential. I mean... Yeah. Not like Forum Gallery I, or somebody out there is going to be pushing it, but, but um, you know, I mean, are, are you still with Adelson? Is, I am, yeah. You know, they've or, always been great, but yeah. I don't see them. They're not interested. I don't think they're not interested in getting involved in a kind of little inside baseball yeah. of one little group of artists who's trying to advocate... Um, so who are you going to be the advocates, I guess, is the biggest question. I, well, and, I think it's the artists that have to be the advocates. And I think, yeah. at a cert- I think until, if the, here's my point, is if the artists don't advocate, and I think there's a sense of the, the artists who, who are whatever, in some prideful way, not working from photographs, um, or prideful, I don't even mean that, who are, who are in a kind of a self-aware way doing that and having it be what they do. I think there's a little bit of saying, like on Instagram, there's a little hashtag from life. People are yeah. doing that. Yeah. So I think people are, it's clearly a kind of a thing. But uh, I think, you know, those artists maybe would try to carve out, a little bit like I'm trying to do now, carve out a kind of, 
um, uh, of space in the in the in the art culture, which is sort of about this, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, like to say, yeah, we're 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 saying that it, it it it's a lot of who we are. It's it's what I do, and it's a lot of what I do. And if you want to know, if if you like what I do, and you want to talk about it because you're even if a little art dealer, you know, mm-hmm. you know, then this is something that I want to explain that it's going to look the way it looks because I have kind of the values that I have and the, what I'm after. This is not that I'm succeeding in getting what I'm after, but that this, it looks the way it does because partially of yeah, you know what I'm after. I'm partially succeeding, and that's why it looks the way it looks. <laughs> but that, then, that's, it's unfortunate because it sounds like you're almost apologizing for the work. Then, well, I mean, you know I would I mean? say, like, I I yeah. know it looks a little funny, but that's because I work from life. Or... I am. Yeah, it's a little. I think. I think so. I, I think, but I think I. I, you know, what am I going to say? I mean, I'm sort of apologizing, and I'm sort of not. It's like once you get around. The fact that, you know, it's like trying to get somebody to go to the opera, you know? Yeah. I know it sounds really weird and they're all like screaming and the vibrato is like really weird. (laughs) And, but ultimately just try to get over that. And it's not, it doesn't have that familiar uh, sort of quality that popular music has. It doesn't, it's not like you grew up hearing it all the time. And when you did, it was usually in a, kind of a parody in a Warner Brothers cartoon. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get into it, I would say, yeah, it'd be reasonable to sort of be a little, little bit apologetic about it and say, <laughs> just give it a little time, get used to it, mm-hmm. and sort of start to feel like this, if it feels like unfamiliar, just like somebody, I made that analogy about drinking some particularly sort of some wine that everybody goes loves, wine people, love things that used to taste totally weird to me and then took a while, but I would be like, okay, yeah. okay. Let me get sure. So I don't know. I guess that's, I guess because the, the, the other thing is, and this is another thing which is funny and somebody accused me of this. I think it was accusing me or maybe I just took it as an accusation, even <laughs> though it wasn't pointed at me. I read something years and years ago online where somebody very astutely said, that these artists, even if they're not working from life, are so completely at this point conforming to a photographic aesthetic that they don't even realize that in spite of the fact that they may not be technically painting from a photograph, they are kind of painting from a photograph because the market is so, the market not just of sales, but of ideas, marketplace of, of art ideas is so dominantly photographic that hmm. a lot of, and this is, I realized that this is a little bit, I saw the sort of tragic nature of my own self, it's kind of like the John Henry trying to, you know, trying to by hand defeat the machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I, I think it's true. And I do think that's a real thing. And, and I think probably at some point by some statement of uh, liberation, uh, emancipation from this competition saying, no, oh, look, you all people with your photographs, we admire you and it's amazing the fact that you can make beautiful old old looking beautiful paintings from photographs that combine photography and old master art 
but we don't want to do that. We're trying to not do that. I think as soon as that spirit, that statement of emancipation starts to spread, I do think that potentially there will be a growth in the development of these artists, including myself. Yeah. Um, boy, the, the, I mean, the thing you mentioned a second ago with the, with the sort of unconsciously having a photographic uh, aesthetic, I mean, what... <laughs> What? Nobody can do anything about that. I mean, what? Well, it's a it's maybe, kind of a weird not. thing to to. Um... It is weird. I agree with you. It's weird. But on the other hand, it's like it is. What does that even mean, weird... though? I don't even understand. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it would be like here's here's the thing. I think it would be like suppose so the whole like what painting became a kind of a contest of um, uh, uh, of, you know, all these artists in the late 1880s and 90s figuring out ways to make these pastiches uh, from photographs and have them look like old art. And then that became, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of artists got very good at doing that. Some, some weren't, um, ultimately, the, you get the sort of fork in the art world. A lot of artists, I think a lot of what led to sort of the broad and rough kind of modernism of, uh, you know, late 19th or 20th century, which goes into avant-gardeism, had to mm -hmm. do with artists like fleeing that feeling like, I don't right. want to be competing with these people who are doing that. But um, But then the that sort of bigger world of working, making drawings that are very much successfully capturing the spirit of photography, um, it sort of has become the dominant flavor of the revival of traditional art. And that yeah, happened. Yeah, of course. It didn't happen right away. I think the revival of traditional art didn't have that look and practice until. 15, 20 years ago, and then it all merged. There was a well, with, merger. Well, I mean, would you say that it started coming? Because when you were just saying that, I was thinking, I was thinking you were going to say the sort of golden age of illustration, mm -hmm. um, and and you know, and then definitely those those guys are using photography. Mm -hmm. um, but those guys are great. Yeah, That's partially why I'm not interested in saying that artists who use photographs are worse than the ones who don't, because I just look at all of those incredible, you know, Brandywine School illustrators, and I, the idea that I would be running them down as if they're second rate would just be ridiculous. Okay. I, I mean, do it, think I that there's the... the um, no, I'm, I'm, that's great you're making that point. I do think that there's the perception out there that that you are sort of running them down, so and that's well, unfortunate. Well, people should think what they want. I can't control yeah. that. Yeah. But I'm very, very, sort of very distinctly... Uh, uh, one of the reasons why I'm framing it the way I do is if I think years ago, I probably did get into that kind of argument with people. Yeah. And I, um, 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 what am I looking for? Sorry. Oh, um, and I, and I would sort of come to this little dead end where I was trying to argue something that I didn't believe. You know, because years hmm. ago it'd be like, oh, painting from photographs is worse. Painting from life is better. Yeah. And it's just like, there was all of that going on. Right. And, 
And, and then I would, you know, ultimately I'd, I would be like, what am I going to say that some, you know, of course I would say that, okay, I think I like Rembrandt better than I like Norman Rockwell, but that's just, that's just a pure, right. like unique one-off. That's not an argument. This is just one towering figure versus this other amazing artist. And, the, yeah. and oh, I like the one better than the other. And then uh, it just doesn't make any sense to sort of make that as an actual argument. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I have to say, look, I mean, I would say possibly that the, the form of painting from uh, one thing I would say possibly about uh, Rockwell and maybe why I would say he's so good um, is that he, he was candid about, it. he wasn't pretending anything. He was, that's true. Yeah. He, he put he, it out there. That's, yeah. sort, that's sort of what I'm advocating. And I think, there's something about Rockwell's work that uh, people like to make fun of it, whatever. I don't know. I mean, old time snobs, but it really is quite exceptionally good. Yeah. And also it's very honest. People might mock it for being kind of cornball Americana, but that's bullshit. It's, it's just, it's totally, it's just right out there, honestly, what it is. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what I'm advocating. So he's not pretending to be something he's not. He, right. he says, here's the tools. Here's how I use these tools. And people get all excited about, look how he does it. And I'm not, he's, he would say, this is, I don't know. That's, I, I like no, that's that. true. That's true. I mean, I, I, I guess there's a book out. I mean, I've seen all these, all the, you know, photographic reference, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for different paintings mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, I, I think you're right. I think when people look at that, they do sort of get, excited and find it interesting that he took he took that photo reference and he took that photo mm-hmm. reference and he made this painting which doesn't match exactly either one of those photo references mm-hmm. in a lot of cases you know so he sort of he used it and and then now this is this was the final product so that is that i think people do find that interesting mm-hmm. but even if he even if he didn't diverge very much from the photographs very good a lot of late 19th century artists where I don't think all these articles, I mean, in some ways I might just be sort of arriving late to the party because I think this is already happening. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of people who aren't, who, I mean, maybe a younger generation of artists than me who are very interested in talking about how they use photography and why they think it's valuable. Um, And then all these 19th century art, you know, there's all these books with these, or websites with photographs of Bastien Lepage and, and Daniel Bouveret and, and Anders Zorn and all the mm, these right. paintings they made, beautiful paintings with the photographs that they worked from. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody is saying that makes those artists worse. I think in some ways it makes people get really interested in their process. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's enriching and allowing people a little bit more of a peep into what they did and, what, why, what they were all about. Well, and, and I think for a were... lot, yeah. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, they, um, it seems more approachable because maybe it's a, the, the process is more familiar too. And it is more modern. I think a lot of people like things that are a little more modern. And I feel like, again, like when you say I sound a little apologetic, I think it's reasonable for me to have to be, <laughs> I, I know that people generally are going to, like, I mean, people like different things. So some people might like the, the this fact that it's less modern, and other people might like the fact that things are more modern. 
but that's just individual choice. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think the idea that a person is using modern tools and combining them with traditional art forms would have been any way like that would probably burnish their reputation more than anything else. Yeah. But it seems like the argument for uh, working from life, it seems like to me it used to be, or or the um, um, the justification used to be, yeah, but we're trying to make work that's like, that's um, like this painting, you know, is an insult when someone said, oh, wow, that's so great. It looks like just like a photograph. And, and you would mm-hmm. say, no, it looks, it looks just like real life. Like I'm making something that looks real, not like a flattened Maybe. image. I don't know. I- I don't particularly. But you seem to be saying like that's not the 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 argument anymore. I think I'm interested more in the idea of I like the idea of the art form. What's mm-hmm. the art form? It's a it's an art form. Yeah. You know, we think I think that you get in the period of, you know, from the scientific revolution into sort of the development of 19th century sort of philosophical materialism and sort of positivism. The idea that the truth, that the idea of what cultural actors need to do is to say things that are true and the way to say things that are true is to be perfectly objective and non-judgmental and so mm-hmm. then artists sort of thought oh i'm going to be like you know newton and and i'll just be simply describing things as i saw them and be unprejudiced and i'll make a perfect exact optical representation of the world and then mm-hmm. that'll be the art that'll be the ultimate art I mean, look, that's, everyone has to follow their path, but for me, it's like there's, there's just all these art forms that have evolved over in, in humanity over all these millennia. And the fact that the sort of, I guess, classical Greek Renaissance tradition that has, that has this powerful dose of naturalism in it mm-hmm. lends itself naturally, maybe it's part of the sort of Western tradition, but it, it, I think it lends itself to this fallacy of, um, of, of sort of non-objective, not, not, I mean, non, like not, not sort of like you're, you, you're, you're successful. You achieve some sort of highest success by um, uh, being a, a non uh, you know, unprejudiced, perfect observer of the world, like, right. you know, and so that, oh, it's better because it's more accurate representation. And I don't know, I would say that that's, I'm not going to dispute a person who, who thinks that way. I mean, they have to think what they think. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I like the idea that you're, that these are art forms. The art but form you- has, it is it is built on its practice and its tools and it yeah. and the tools are the pencil and the paper and the canvas and the transfer process and and you adapt them and you use them differently and you bend them to the point that you still find your you're you're operating within the structure that's meaningful to you mm-hmm. what was the question um do you worry that or does it do you care at all that that maybe the work that might be might be being created is sort of mannerized work 
than if you mean because it's not so totally faithful to being a perfect copy of the way the world looks. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, you know, that is something or, to worry about. That, yeah, like, so that's or that it's it's sort of I'm trying to make this look old, or I'm trying to make this look a little bit awkward because that's mm -hmm. that's the way paintings in yeah, the 14th century right. looked. So yeah. then, then I mean, it becomes I think like a little bit the, inauthentic. Right, right. I I, that's a very good point. I think it's a very reasonable consideration. And I think it's also overlaps with, to some degree, what did happen in the 1880s and 90s and 1900s when the artists felt like the salon paintings where all of the paintings that were, uh, you know, the sort of late 19th century kind of very, very photographically influenced naturalism, Orientalism, of which there was tons and tons and tons. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of artists who were the, became these modernists, post-impressionists, wanted to get away from that. And they, they, they specifically then thought, well, what's the difference between a Rembrandt and one of these paintings that are all around us that are so perfectly accurately drawn from photographs? Then their, their solution, which I think was an erroneous solution, was yeah. that um, 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 that the, that the difference between the Rembrandt and the like late 19th century realistic painting is that the Rembrandt isn't really that realistic and it's got more spirit than material accuracy, or they would have said that about anybody or like a, you know, a 15th century Florentine painting or something. And so then they start impersonating or they start trying to specifically represent what they think is the thing that the painters copying photographs in the 1890s, weren't doing meaning mm -hmm. the sloppiness and the expressiveness and then you get you know Gauguin and all that whole world of people that leads into Kandinsky where they think the very essence of painting obviously has been proven to not be the realisticness therefore whatever the differential is between Rembrandt and you know whatever Arthur yeah. Bridgman is going to be uh this quality that I'm going to express by being Kandinsky. I mean, that's pretty yeah. simplistic. I've no idea whether Kandinsky specifically thought that, but yeah. I think there was some of that going on. I think your question sort of touches on that is like, is the danger of trying to manifestly be the sort of to hone in on the difference between perfectly photographic representation and, um, uh, and this other thing that happens that includes the errors and clumsiness, then maybe you'll start to reprise late 19th century modernism by focusing on, and that which in itself, I believe, is a mannerism. Yeah. And I don't know, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that would be too bad. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's a great, uh, a great place to, uh, all right. to leave it here. So, um, Anything you want to say before we sign off here? Uh, it was very fun, Danny. Nice to talk. And yeah, great long. talking with you. Okay, thanks again to Jacob Collins for um, t 
taking the time to talk. Um, it's been a really long time since I had any kind of a lengthy conversation with him. So that was, uh, that was really fun. Um, if you have any comments about this episode, um, if you'd like to offer your two cents on uh, Jacob's proposal of creating greater connoisseurship and, and patronage through artists promoting their studio practices um, as, uh, I guess, as a way to create more categories for artists to uh, identify themselves with. Um, you know, we all kind of live under this uh, huge umbrella of classical realism um, or representationalism or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I guess I guess his idea is that if artists separate out into these different uh, subgenres or categories based on their studio practices, then then people can more closely identify um, a certain aesthetic that they like in painting with with the way the work was produced. Um, and and they can seek out the artists who who work in that way, and hopefully they'll go really deep in that subgenre and uh, and support their their favorite artists who 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 kind of live in that category. Um, so if you have if you have comments on that, um, I'd I'd love to hear those. And I know Jacob uh, definitely would like would like to get your feedback on on that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put up a post um, on Instagram. Um, promoting this episode uh so if you if you're not following uh the studio podcast on instagram go give us a follow and uh and leave us some feedback there um and as usual if you happen to be listening on itunes uh go ahead and subscribe and leave comments and give us eight and a half star rating um and if you want to email me for whatever reason you can reach me danny at dannygrantfineart.com and before I go, um, I want to thank all of the artists um, at the FACE conference who put their name on the list to subscribe to this show. Um, so thank you all very much. And um, thank you all for listening once again. And I will see you next time. Sure.